Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and I loved being up here in front of this amazing set and seeing the decorations in the, uh, in the foyer, in the hallway. Uh, when I was 21 years old, I was a children's ministries intern, and so my, I, I helped run VBS at a church in North Vancouver, and I loved it. Or we call it kids camp here. Sorry, we're, we're not saying VBS because, you know, summer and school should not go together. But so kids camp, and we had a space theme. So when Brenda was like contemplating doing a kids camp and she showed me one, there's this one space theme. I was like, absolutely, this is the one that we have to do because I had such a great experience when when we did our kids camp with a space theme, uh, part of my job was leading the kids in the singing and doing the actions. And one of the ladies in the church, uh, she thought it would be great to make me a pair of space pants. So she, she sewed these pants for me that had planets and rocket ships and all these things. And at the end of the week, uh, we had this event where we invited all the parents and the whole church to come that night. And the kids would sing song and we'd show a slideshow. And I happened to be just starting dating a girl. We'd been dating maybe like two weeks. And she showed up that night. And there I am, standing in space pants in front of the entire church, leading these actions for these songs and stuff like that. So how could she not, you know, fall in love? And we've been married ever since, right? Like, yeah. So... There's a plug, volunteer at kids camp, right? You never know what God can do. So, well, today is the second week in our summer series on the Psalms. And Jeff, thank you last week for kicking things off. You did a great job introducing us through this series, through Psalm 1, where Jeff taught about how the Psalms are a collection of poems that express the wide variety of human emotions that we feel, from love and adoration towards God, to sorrow over sin, and even anger towards our enemies. You know, Jews and Christians throughout history have used the Psalms as their own personal prayers, helping us to express our feelings to God when it seems like our own, worlds, our own words fail us. Now, many of us can relate to that. We can relate to finding that same sort of helpfulness in music to express feelings that we cannot put into words, which a certain song or musician can capture how we feel in a ballad that gives us relief or comfort, knowing that we are not the only ones who feel a certain way. I remember back in the early 90s when we were teenagers, one of my older brothers, he was deep into grunge music. Now, if you don't know what grunge music is, it's sort of a hybrid between punk rock and heavy metal. But what made grunge music popular amongst teenagers of the 90s were the lyrics which represented the feelings that many in that generation were able to identify with. Bands such as Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden, they sang angst-filled, introspective songs addressing themes such as social alienation, self-doubt, abuse, neglect, betrayal, addiction, psychological trauma, and also a desire for freedom. Now, grunge music certainly wasn't the first genre of music to give voice to a dejected group of people and what they were experiencing, 
Blues music had been around long before that, and early blues gave a voice to African Americans that helped them to express the woes of the harsh realities that they often faced in this world, expressing the loss of love, the cruelty of police officers, racism and oppression at the hands of white folks, and other difficulties. But what concerned my parents and many others whose teenagers uh, swam in the deep end of the grunge music pool was the hopelessness and the despair they felt the music conveyed and feared was swallowing up their children. Now, I'm no expert in grunge music lyrics and cannot comment on whether these lyrics were as hopeless or as desperate as my parents feared. You see, I was in more into the pop rock stylings of Lenny Kravitz myself, but I understand the concern that they felt. But I also understood or understand now my teenage brother's desire and also his need to express the somber darker emotions that we often experience in this world. Emotions such as fear, doubt, anger, anxiety. Not so that we end up some rabbit hole with no way to get out, but so in order to grant us relief to what our souls are experiencing while at the same time clinging to the hope that someday we may be set free. And this is what the Psalms also provide us. Many of these songs lament the injustice that we experience in this world. They express the loss of love, the cruelty of oppressors, and even feelings of alienation from God. And yet they don't leave us in a place of despair. We're going to be looking at Psalm 42 to 43 this morning where we are gifted a song that helps us to express these darker feelings. It gives us a voice to what we often find hard to share, hard to share especially with God. But it also shines a light reminding us that there is salvation, that we can have freedom from the darkness. Put your hope in God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 42, 43. For the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? My soul, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the reason that we are looking at both Psalm 42 and 43 this morning is because most likely these were intended to remain as one psalm. They share both the same theme and they also follow the same structure. Also, Psalm 43 doesn't have a title to it, which most psalms individual psalms do. Commentators also remark that unlike our current Bibles, uh, early Hebrew manuscripts actually have these together as one psalm. The note at the very beginning that I read of the text says that this psalm is for the director of music and it is a maskil of the sons of Korah. Now, we're not certain exactly what a maskil is, but most likely this is a musical or a liturgical term. But what's certain is that this song was meant to be sung. The annotation that it is for the director of music or the choir director meant that this psalm was to be a part of the community's corporate worship service. The reference to the sons of Korah as the authors of this psalm is also an indication that this psalm was intended for corporate worship. The sons of Korah were descendants of Kohath, who was the son of Levi. You may recall that Levi was one of the patriarch Jacob's 12 sons, who they all became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the male descendants of Levi, they served as particular, as, as like priests. They served particular religious duties for the nation of Israel. And the sons of Korah, the, these specific Levites, they served as temple musicians. So it would be like, Hundreds of years from now, someone searching through the Calvary Baptist archives, coming upon a poem that had a, the document was entitled, uh, it said, to the worship leader, a maskil of the sons of Van Hemen. And knowing that Michael Van Hemen led, leads us in worship, like he led us in worship this morning, this would help our future congregation to, correct, to correctly deduce that this poem they found was intended to be used during our Sunday gatherings. Michael, we really look forward to the poems that you have for us in the future. Now, it's clear from this text that the psalmist conveys anguish at feeling alienated from God. However, we're not sure what the circumstances surrounding 
his feelings of separation are. Some commentators speculate that the psalmist feels isolated from worship at the temple in Jerusalem because the psalm may have been written while he was in exile. So maybe in Assyria or Babylon. And that those who he refers to as taunting him in the, in the psalm are his oppressive captors. However, it could also be that it's an illness which prevents the psalmist from participating in temple worship. In verse 10, he says, My bones suffer mortal agony. However, we also know that psalms can often use physical trauma as images to reflect uh, severe emotional distress. So we simply don't know what the life circumstances the psalmist was experiencing at the time that he wrote this song. But what we can be sure of is that his feelings are dark feelings of depression, sadness, and doubt. And that's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It is human for us to feel this way. And I'm so grateful to the psalmist and to God for including this song in the Holy Scriptures. You see, I have sometimes also felt this way, but I can be too afraid to share those feelings with others. Now imagine, you know, for a moment, if you had asked me this morning, hey Dave, how's it going? And rather than giving you the obligatory, pretty good, I said to you, my soul is downcast within me. I have been feeding on my tears day and night. God has rejected me. I think most of us would be beside ourselves not knowing what to do. Quick, get the pastor. Oh no, he is the pastor. Right? Yeah. I think... There are many reasons that we often give these, stick, these, these stock answers to people indicating that everything is going fine in our lives even when they're not. You know, a couple of these reasons could be, one, we, we don't want to burden other people with how we're feeling. Like, we feel the weight of it ourselves. We don't want anybody else to have to carry this as well. Another could be that we're actually afraid to share the real condition of our souls because we fear being judged as less spiritual or not having enough faith. Fortunately, this psalm shows us that we don't have to have put on any pretenses when it comes to God. We can be our genuine selves, no matter how dark and depressing it gets. He welcomes us to unload our burdens onto him because it's his desire to give us relief. Also, there is nothing we can say that would ever overwhelm him. God also has no illusions about the greatness of our faith, right? He abhors the facades that people put on about being so spiritually elite that they are beyond the unsavory feelings of doubt or anger. And rather, Psalms like this demonstrate how God honors authentic vulnerability, sharing with him our fears, our frustrations, even sharing with him how disappointed we are with him. But the psalmist doesn't just unload on God, right? He doesn't just sing of just his disappointments with how God has let him down. Rather, the psalmist feels the freedom to both question God, but also to question himself. He has the freedom to question God, but also he questions himself. 
You see, he knows enough about himself and that his feelings don't tell the whole story. Our feelings are not 100% true or trustworthy. I realize the statement I just made about our feelings not being 100% true or trustworthy uh, goes against a lot of the messages that people today suggest. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I would often hear from parents, they would tell me that they always tell their children to trust their feelings. Always trust your feelings. Yikes. I tell my children to pay attention to their feelings. I tell them not to ignore their feelings, but always trust your feelings. Not a chance. I do the opposite. I regularly tell them not to listen to their feelings. Don't take orders from them because our feelings are not always trustworthy. Your feelings will lie to you. Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Tell us how you really feel, Jesus. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. We should pay attention to our feelings. We need to pay attention to our feelings, but we should also share our feelings with God and other safe people. And we should be self-aware enough to question our feelings and understand that just because we feel something doesn't make that true. Again, the psalmist song is not only about his despair. The lyrics range from past nostalgia to the present affliction to the hope of future restoration. The psalmist feels the freedom to share his raw emotion. However, he continues to hold out hope. A careful examination of the text reveals a sort of to and fro movement between lament and hope, back and forth. There's a diagram, if you can go to the next one, that shows the expository structure of these two texts, beginning with lament, moving on to hope, back and forth. It goes to and fro throughout these two chapters. The first lament found in verses 1 to 4 reveals the author's feelings of spiritual dryness. He sings, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? We see that more than anything, what he eagerly desires is God's presence, but for some reason he feels that God has been absent. And again, we don't know the psalmist's circumstances. Was he in exile? Was he sick and unable to attend worship at the temple? Perhaps he had been neglecting his spiritual disciplines and had fallen away from God. Or maybe he sinned and did God abandon him? We don't know. What we do know is that the absence of God in his life, it's so acute the pain is so real that he likens himself to a deer whose intense thirst and yearning for water causes it to pant and search out for a stream. 
The intensity of his missing God's presence causes him to cry, which he says he does day and night, and he feeds on his tears. Have you ever tasted your tears? Eating your tears will not satisfy your thirst, right? Tears are salty. It will only exacerbate the desire for a drink of fresh water. And so the psalmist's tears, they don't console him. Rather, they make him long for God all the more. That's the worst kind of sadness, is the unconsolable sadness. And then he tells us, on top of this, other people ridicule him and his relationship with God. Verse 3, people say to me all day long, where is your God? This is the first of three times that he mentions people who ridicule him for his faith. We see this again in verse 10 and then in verse 1 of chapter 43. Now, we may assume that the people who taunt the psalmist must be unbelievers. These must be people who are outside of Israel. And certainly, many people in our country today look down upon us Christians as fools for believing in God and basing our lives on Jesus. However, this text does not say that these harassers are not Israelites. And many of us have experienced if not blatant taunts, at least criticism from fellow believers for not having faith that lives up to their standards. I've seen people share their struggles with doubts only for others to rebuff them, telling them they just need to pray more, get over it, and just believe. That's helpful. I've heard several people tell me their stories about when they've been praying for healing and they were not answered, that others came alongside of them and told them they must have insufficient faith. Some close friends of mine even experienced this when their young child died from an illness. How heartless. How heartless we can be sometimes when it comes to addressing other or assessing other people's circumstances, including their walks with God. Heaven forbid that ever happens to any one of us here. I hope that no one ever comes through our doors and is amongst us and encounters us as their foe who taunts them. Rather, I pray God that we would be to them a family member who loves and supports them wherever they are at and with whatever they are going through. Amen? Yeah. See, the metaphor for dryness that the psalmist conveys and he, empl- he employs is one that comes naturally to someone who's experiencing discouragement. But even when someone feels spiritually dry, we should never assume that it is a sin or even the person's own fault that they feel this way. There can be a whole host of reasons that they might feel spiritually dry. It could be physical, emotional, psychological, or something completely outside of the person's control. But regardless of the source of feelings, it doesn't make the symptoms any less real or the longing for God any less intense. But what really stands out to me from this song, where the psalmist longs for God's presence, is how he connects personal intimacy with God 
to corporate worship. He connects his own personal intimacy with corporate worship. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joys and praise among the festive throng. In chapter 43, he mentions again corporate worship, saying, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The mentions of the holy mountain and the altar are references to the temple. The psalmist not only situates his past closeness with God within the community of faith, but he also anticipates his hoped-for future intimacy will take place within corporate worship as well. I think that's worth saying again. He not only situates his past closeness with God within the community of faith, but he anticipates his hoped-for future intimacy with the Lord taking place within the community as well. So often when we think about our relationship with God today, we think about it individually. This is because our society here in Canada is dominated by a very individualistic way of thinking about every way of life. And so this has also infected the way we Christians think about our relationship with God. However, the Israelites and the early Christians would never think about their relationship with God apart from the community of faith. The idea that people could be a believer but not be a participating part of a local synagogue or church was completely unheard of to them and quite frankly is not biblical. However, today we see many people who profess to be followers of Jesus, yet they are not committed to a local group of believers that we call a church. Before the pandemic, uh, stats say that regular attendance at church was classified as being there three out of every eight Sundays. Let me say that again. Before the pandemic, regular attendance was classified as showing up out of three out of every eight Sundays. To me, that's mind-boggling because I don't know any other scenario in life where showing up three out of every eight times would be considered regular. Current stats... Uh, since the pandemic, show that participation in communities of faith continues to plummet, even though individuals still identify with their faith. And so they still claim, people still claim to identify with whatever faith they, they hold to, but they, they, there's less attendance in terms of participating in the life of the faith community. Many people simply practice on their own, or they do church, by watching the service from home because they enjoy staying in their pajamas or, you know, not having to interact with other people. I've heard these things. Or they can skip through the parts of the service they don't like. Now, if you're at home watching this right now on our live stream or later on, before you start skipping ahead through my sermon because you didn't like what I just had to say, I just beg you, please indulge me for at least a few more moments. And if you're tempted to walk out from here, well, please don't do that either. See, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I know that some people 
do not come to church in person for understandable reasons. And by the way, let me clarify what church is. We were, we were driving here this morning and we were talking about how we were camping uh, the week before and I was just saying, oh, it must be weird for my family members. Uh, it feels like they've been gone for two weeks. I came back to church right away so I feel like I've been part of church community all week. And my son said, oh yeah, but you know, I was at the church with you this morning. And then we, we clarified, we're like, remember what church is? He's like, oh yeah, it's the people, not the building. And I'm like, exactly. So when I'm talking about church, I'm talking about the community of faith. We're not talking about the building. So I know some people who do not gather with the community of believers for understandable reasons. My parents abstained from coming to church for over a year because my dad was having chemotherapy and he had a compromised immune system and so he couldn't risk getting a cold, let alone infected with COVID. And I totally support them in that and others like it. But some people continue to abstain from gathering with the family because they have gotten out of the habit or they enjoy using the time to do other things or they have been deceived into believing that they can faithfully follow Jesus on their own outside of a community of faith. But this psalm shows us that though we can each have an individual relationship with God, those individual relationships with him are to be housed within the church family. Commentator Gerald Wilson, he says, in Israel, the individual was not simply swallowed up in society, but neither is the society disbanded in favor of the individual. This psalm places the individual in the midst of the worshiping congregation. And remember, this was a song that was given to the worship leader to lead the rest of the congregation in song as the gathered community of the faithful. This means that the person who is suffering, who is lamenting, does not sing this sad song alone or in isolation, but they proclaim their need in the congregation and seek hope and healing there with others. This is how God intended it to be. The reason that God places individual followers within a community of faith, Wilson goes on to explain, is so that individuals can encourage and can challenge and admonish the community towards greater faithfulness, endurance, or even repentance. And the community in turn provides a collective memory of the mighty acts of God that exceeds the memory or experience of a single individual and provides the continued context for enduring faith, hope, and love. What a gift God's church is to us. Again, I do not want to offend anyone. That is not my intentions. However, if the Holy Spirit convicts any of us through anything I say, I am grateful. And I not only admire the psalmist's longing for intimacy with God, but I also love how he desires to be with the family of faith, worshiping together. He wants to be there. He wants to be with his church family. And I have to say, I feel the same way about being here with you most of the time. Yeah, most of the, most of the time. And I'm also super fortunate. You see, my children from the time that they were little, still today, they love 
to come to church every single Sunday. In fact, often in our home, we don't call this day Sunday. We call it church day because when they were little, they would come up to us with great anticipation and they'd say, when's church day? Because they couldn't wait for church day to come again. And I know that is not how everyone feels, right? For some of you, your children, they are not excited to come to church. And that's putting it politely. I recognize that that's really hard for you as parents. Or maybe it's not even your kids. Maybe it's your spouse who doesn't want to be here. Or even you who does not look forward to being here. And I'm sorry. And let me say, I really hope and pray that that changes for you. But I am also so glad that you are here and that you, thank you for coming. And let me encourage you to keep showing up, keep persevering. And if you're watching this online, let me say to you as well, that if you've not gone back to a church, I want to encourage you to do so if you are able to. Right? It doesn't have to be even Calvary Baptist, right? though we would welcome everyone and love to have you as a part of our church. But for the sake of your health, of your walk with Jesus, we all need to find a community of faith that we can be committed to and that is committed to us. Like the psalmist, we can also share our discontent, even our discontent feelings with church. And we can share those with God because the psalmist shows that God can take it. We can even share those feelings with someone you trust. Let me just say though, please not everyone share those feelings of discontent about church with me or else I may no longer feel like coming to church either. But we need to share. We need to be vulnerable, authentic, especially in our prayers to God. Pray that he would change your circumstances. Lament over your, your children or your spouse or even your own negative feelings about church. Maybe it's the kids. You, you want to lament and pray to God that God would change your parents' feelings about church and ask God, God, would you transform all of our hearts? And remember, just because we feel a certain way does not mean that our feelings are legitimate or true. And this is why the psalmist gives himself a good talking to, right? He acknowledges his feelings, but he also recognizes he has a responsibility to do something about them. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Three times the psalmist will sing this refrain in this song. It's as if he is looking in a mirror, acknowledging all the ways that he feels, all the doubts and the fear, all the ways of the unfairness of life, how other people have treated him, and even recognizing how he feels like God has forgotten him, like, like God has rejected him. And without dismissing those feelings, he also recognizes a solution, his solution. He needs to put his hope in God. And I recognize, for many of us, how difficult that sounds. That's a really hard thing for many of us to do. 
put your hope in God. We all put our hope in something, don't we? We put our hope in the doctor for physical help and health. We put our hope in a legal system for justice. Maybe we put hope in a financial advisor for our retirement. Or we put our hope in our family to make us feel secure and loved. But all of these things can let us down, right? Doctors misdiagnosed. Legal systems can be unjust. Stocks plummet. And even family members who promise to be there for better or for worse leave us. But though we may feel like God has forgotten or rejected, remember that those feelings don't speak the truth. God's word speaks the truth. He says in Hebrews 13:5, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Lord is trustworthy and faithful in all that he does. He promises to be with us, whether in the good times or whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God promises that he is with us even when he feels distant and he still is asking us to trust him, to put our hope in him. I said earlier how I am grateful for how the Psalms express the whole range of human emotions and how they invite us to be vulnerable with God. And throughout his life on earth, God's son Jesus, he often quoted the Psalms in his own personal prayers, sometimes to express his own dark and somber feelings. On one of those particularly dreadful occasions on the day of his crucifixion when Jesus was hanging from the cross he quotes Psalm 22 which says my God my God why have you forsaken me there are echoes of what the psalmist in Psalm 42 43 are feeling you've rejected me the psalm goes on to say why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish Jesus felt this way God had not abandoned or forsaken his son, right? But Jesus, being both fully God and fully human, feels the entire range of human emotions, right? Even feeling rejected by God like the psalmist felt, like you and I can also feel. And knowing that Jesus can relate to those feelings brings me comfort. In Hebrews 2, it says, that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the sadness, all the rejection, all the testing. Jesus knows it all. And he would be able to help us where help is needed. Thank you, Jesus. See, Jesus felt rejected by God. He was tempted to believe that God had abandoned him just as we are tempted to feel at times. But Christ's resurrection, it shows us that God did not forsake him and Jesus was no fool for putting his hope in his father. God delivered his son from his feelings of sorrow and abandonment. He delivered Jesus from the hands of his oppressors. He even rescued him from the clutches of death in the grave, resurrecting him to eternal life. And that is why God is worthy of our trust. Why the psalmist exhorts himself to put his hope in God and why you and I should do it too. And if we put our trust in God through Christ, 
we probably will still suffer a lot of difficulty in this life. But we will have hope for a future without any of this world's trouble. Hope for a day where God won't feel far off, where we will praise him face to face. If we put our faith in Jesus, we have hope for eternal salvation because Jesus is God, our Savior. And if you want to do that today, you absolutely can. You can use my words just as I use the psalmist's words. You can pray, you know, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I put my life in your hands. You know, Jesus, forgive me for where I've gone wrong. Help me to live according to your ways. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your loving kindness. That's where we all start, isn't it? We all start by putting our hope in Jesus. And then the next day, we put our hope in Jesus. And the day after that, and the day after that, and that's what I continue to do every day, is I re-up with Jesus. I continue to put my hope in him. Each day, we are redetermining to put our hope in him. Right? Yeah. And some days, placing our hope in God is a whole lot easier than others. But there are some practical things that you and I can do to make it, if not easier, at least a little less complicated. First, we need to be authentic, especially with God. We need to acknowledge our feelings. Do not ignore them. If there's anything that this psalmist shows us is that there is no use hiding behind any pretenses. God sees right through them anyways. And so we need to come to God authentically. We need to talk to him as our real selves, using our own words, right? Our own thoughts and feelings. Skip all the religious jargon, right? There's no these, thous, and arts here with us, right? And if you're at a loss for words, well, that's when we can pick up the Psalms and we can make them our own. I'm so grateful for them. How many times in my life where I have felt spiritually dry and the psalmist has given words to the ache of my soul? The Psalms also show us the helpful power of remembering. The psalmist continues to remind himself of times where he used to enjoy intimacy with God, but he does so as a way of prodding himself forward. He's not living in the past. He's reminding himself in order to keep going, to move forward, to put his hope in God. And we would do well to remember too. Call to mind the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past when we face a difficult situation in the present. I think for some of us, this might be the call to the spiritual practice of journaling. I've not been faithful in this myself, but in seasons in my life, this has been a great help to me where I both get to, to acknowledge what I am feeling, but also take a record of God's faithfulness in my life, a record that I can come back to, to give me courage for, the, for today. Finally, to remain hopeful Friends, we need to prioritize corporate worship in the family of God. We need to be committed to the community of faith. We cannot do this on our own, and we were not designed to. 
Whenever anyone becomes a follower of Christ, they are to be a part of a local family of worshiping believers. By doing so, they become a part of a sustaining community that stretches back for a millennia and that will continue into the future until Jesus returns. And it is his gift to us. I'd like to invite Michael and the worship team to come on up. In closing, I want to read for us an encouragement from Hebrews chapter 10. Would you stand with me? And I hope that we would could also make this our prayer. The author says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And that hope is in you, Lord Jesus. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more until you see that day approaching. Amen.